seat. Today, we are closing out our sermon series on worship. And before we dive in, I actually have a, a very important message, uh, an announcement, something that I'm super excited about. Um, for the last six months or so at Redemption, um, we have been without a programming director. That is a person who oversees our ministries here in worship, creative, and our production ministries. And I wanna say, first of all, I wanna say a big thank you to our worship team. Hey, let's give it up for our worship team. You know, worship is one of our core values here at Redemption. We wanna put God first in everything that we do. And that's what worship is. It's giving worth to Jesus because he is worthy, amen? amen. And so I wanna say a big thank you to our worship, our production and our creative team for six months for being patient, for being gracious, for being strong, and for being just so um, committed to the house here. And so I'm just so grateful. When you see the worship team in the lobby or the production team on your way out, make sure you just give them a big high five and a handshake and tell them that what they do really matters here at this church, does it not? We, we love our worship team. Uh, but with that being said, uh, we have actually made a hire and we have welcomed a new staff member here at Redemption, part of our leadership team who will be overseeing our worship and production and creative, what we call our programming department. And I'm really excited to introduce you, JC Sanchez. Come on over here. Come on over here. Come here, come here, JC. Wanna give you a big old hug. So uh, JC and his wife, come on, stand in the shot. You know better than that. So JC and his wife, they, uh, they've been fasting and praying about whether or not to accept this position. And the Lord spoke to his wife first, as most of the times that's what he does, right, men? Uh, and uh, JC has accepted. I'm excited about this because JC is a son of the house. JC's been here for seven years. Uh, I believe it was May of 2016 that your family came for the first time. Um, all the way back when we were set up and tear down in the gig. And uh, he hid from us for those first several months because he knew that if he told us he could play the drums, he would get stuck back there playing drums. And uh, it's been seven years and you're still playing guitar and drums for us. Uh, and I, I've had the privilege to see you grow in your faith. I remember when you first came, you, uh, you, you told me that you, you were raised in a, in a Catholic tradition. You had been to church, but you never had a real relationship. You bought an ESV Bible and Craig Rochelle's Christian Atheist book. And we met for coffee and you expressed the doubts and the skepticism that you had and the, and the faith in where you were at. And then, um, and then I got to see God just take you from one next step to the next step. And I'm really excited for this next step that we get to share together here in leading Redemption Church. Uh, you've been baptized in this church. Your, your wife's been baptized in this church. Your daughter's been baptized in this church. And so I'm just so grateful for you and everything that God has done in the last seven years. And I'm looking forward to what God is gonna do in the next 10. Amen. Hey, can we give it up for JC? What a great way to close out our series on worship, amen? amen. He, we have a heart of worship here at this church. This is important for us 
as a church. It's one of our core values here at Redemption is worship. In fact, it's our first of our core values because we want to put God first in everything that we do. We want to magnify him, glorify him. Everything we do is because of him. And so we just love to worship Jesus together as a church. But it's also important for us because um, a lot of people who call Redemption home do not all come from the same faith traditions and backgrounds. I mean, it's, it's obvious to me that God is really doing something special here. Over the last year, our church has more than doubled in size. Many people are coming from, uh, from uh, traditional backgrounds, overly charismatic backgrounds, no church backgrounds, non-denominational churches, and God is bringing all of us together and creating this weird, funky mix of an eclectic church that is called Redemption church. And so during this series, what we're trying to do is to bring some doctrinal clarity. We're trying to bring some church unity around this subject of, of worship. Because whenever some people come in here, they, they look around, they're like, this is not what I am used to, right? This is just not normal. The way that people worship with passion and with liberty and with joy and with freedom, people are lifting their hands. Like, why are all these people lifting their hands when they worship? Like, does somebody have a question? Like, why, 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 why do they lift their hands? Or is, is, they, is the pastor going to call on them or something? Like, I don't really get it. Why are people, you know, dancing in the altars or, or singing out of key or clapping off beat? Why are people happy going to church? This is church. No one's supposed to be happy when you go to church, but yet people are happy. And so it can be a little confusing sometimes when you walk into redemption and you see the way that we worship with freedom and with joy and with passion, and we express ourselves emotionally and verbally when it comes to our worship. And so we're trying to bring everybody together to not only explain why we worship, but to explain why we worship the way that we do. And this is week four. So in week one, we set it off with the very words of Jesus talking about worshiping in spirit and in truth. Where are my spirit people at? You raise charismatic? Let me raise your hand. Woo, I know you love to raise your hands. Raise both of them up. Ha, oh, okay. You know, our spirit people, right? And so they can teach the traditional people a thing or two when it comes to worshiping with passion and with freedom. But the truth people who are in our church, I'm not gonna ask you to raise your hand if you were raised Baptist or any other traditional denomination, because I know you don't want to, but later you might raise your hands, okay? But our truth people can teach us a thing or two about worshiping, not only just in spirit, but also teaching us to worship biblically with, 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 with the word of God as the center of everything that we do. And so we need to learn from both, worshiping in spirit and worshiping in truth. Week two, we learned about worship as an act of spiritual warfare. See, the story in the Bible was this, is that God was gonna bring a great victory to the nation of Israel, but he promised it. But the only thing was, is this, he didn't send out the warriors, he sent out the worshipers. Because when you worship, what you're doing is you're allowing God to step in and begin to fight the battle on your behalf. And so we learned that when you're in a trial, when you're in trouble, when you're in difficulty, when you're in a hard situation, when you don't feel like worshiping, that my friends is when you need to learn to worship the most. That we don't worship based upon our feelings, we worship based upon our faith. And when we learn to worship God before the battle, in the battle, and after the battle, we learn that worship is the way that God wins the war on our behalf. Last week, Pastor Dallas from Grace Church came here. Hey, wasn't Pastor Dallas amazing? Wasn't that an incredible sermon? It's so great to be able to be blessed by some incredible communicators to come. And he talked about how we can worship God with boldness because of the access that we receive through the shed blood of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins. In the Old Testament, a priest could go into the presence of God one time every year. 
But because of Jesus, the curtain has been torn, the veil has been torn, and we have been granted access to boldly enter into the very presence of God with us. And that is amazing that we don't have to worship in fear. We don't have to worship in cowarding. We don't have to feel guilty because we have been set free. We've been forgiven and we've been given access into the very presence of God. That's amazing. And so what we're going to do today as we close out the series is I want to bring it down to street level and I want to make it super practical for us because at Redemption, we don't just just teach what you should believe. We also want to equip you on how to put it into practice. It's not enough for us just to be knowers of the word, but we also must be doers of the word as well. At Redemption, we believe that we should practice what we preach. And so today, our message is going to be very practical as we wrap up this series. And I want to talk to you about the importance of lifting your hands in worship. The importance of lifting your hands in worship. And one of the reasons that we're doing this is because, like I said before, people grow up in all different types of traditions and backgrounds and upbringings. And so you might wonder, why do people worship the way that they do? Why do people worship with their hands lifted up or or singing or dancing or clapping? Why does this church stand? Why do we play loud music? Why are people so exuberant when it comes to their worship? And so I want to teach you why people worship the way that we do and why it's actually a, a biblical precedent that we follow here at Redemption Church. And I want to start off by sharing you some stories or a story rather from a young woman who is in our church. I posted uh, yesterday on Facebook and I've posted it several times on Instagram asking people why they do not feel comfortable lifting their hands or being emotionally expressive in worship. And on Instagram, I got dozens of responses, over 70 responses on Facebook. And what I noticed was that this one woman, her story really stuck out because it's what I longed to see here at Redemption. And, And here's what she said. When I first started going to Redemption, I was really nervous And I couldn't really even stand up or sing along because I would get a little anxious and I was scared, mainly more nervous because when I actually started getting into worship and I started praising God and paying attention to the lyrics, all of a sudden it became natural to me and my hands would begin to lift themselves. And every time I would have a smile on my face and tears began to roll down my eyes. I love it and I love worship at this church. I am so happy that I have gotten over my insecurities. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Isn't that amazing? Listen, here's what I want you to understand is that worship is for you. Okay, worship is for you. See, people oftentimes think that worship is only for God. Listen, God doesn't need your worship. Okay, I, I don't know if you know that or not, but God doesn't need your worship because God is God whether you worship him or not. Like God is still holy whether or not you lift his name up. Like God is still great and good and supreme and sovereign over all of the universe, whether or not you worship him. Like God doesn't need your worship because within the doctrine of the Trinity, there is glory and adoration and relationship in the Trinity itself. And then the Bible says the heavens and the earth declare of his glory. It even says, if you don't worship him, the rocks will cry out and worship him in your place. Listen, God doesn't need your worship. Worship is for you. It is something that you need. It is something that God grants to you. It is a gift that God gives to you because it is the most important thing that we could ever do is to praise and to worship our God. Worship is for you. 
In week one, we learned this, that there's uh, several different New Testament words when it comes to worship. One of the words is, is therapo, which is where we get the word therapy. It is healing to your heart. It is a blessing to your soul. It, 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 it's, it's like the doctor can treat the body and the, the counselor can treat the mind, but God's presence is what brings healing to a person's soul. And so when we worship God, it brings healing into our spirits, into our soul. But on the other hand, there's another word called proskuneo, which literally means to kiss the feet. So on one hand, it is for you, but on the other hand, it is ultimately about God. It is about you laying down your, your, pers your perspectives. It's about laying aside your pride. It is about laying aside your, your wants or your values. It's about laying everything aside, surrendering your life, surrendering your heart, and laying it at the feet of Jesus, and then just marveling at his goodness over your life. Listen, worship is for you, but it's not about you. Ultimately, worship is about God. Here's another way that the gospel singers would say this. They would say, when the praises go up, the blessings come down. Right? Whenever you begin to praise God, when you magnify God, when you worship God, when you begin to bless his holy name, like when the praises go up, that's when the blessings of God begin to fall down on your life. When you begin to lift him up, he will draw you close. When the praises go up, that is when the blessings come down. Let me give you an illustration that might better help you understand. You got to understand God is a father. Right? That's the way that he's revealed himself to the scriptures. He says that he is a father. Jesus says, our father. He teaches us that God is a father. And so what I'm going to do today is I'm going to talk a lot about my, my, my daughters because I want you to understand the father heart of God. I want you to understand that God is a father. When you begin to grasp the father heart of God, worship is going to make a lot more sense to you. God is a father. I'm a dad. I got, um, where are my dads at? Got any dads in the room? Hey, men, thank you for leading your family to church today. Thank you, thank you to all the men for leading your families and, and being here in the church today. Here, here's what, God, uh, uh, um, one of the best feelings in the world for me is as a dad, when I come home after a long day of work, it's the best feeling. Because whenever I open up the door and I, I, I walk in, all of a sudden I, I hear my, my two daughters, Esther's son and Ruth Moon, they're, they're six and three years old. And all of a sudden I open the door and here's what I hear, daddy's home. And then they run down the stairs and they run through the whole house. And here's what they say, daddy, 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 daddy. And they run into the back room and they throw their arms up and they jump into my lap. And I pick them both up and we run through the house screaming, oh, and giving big hugs. And then we jump on the couch and then we get all the snuggles in the world. That's the best feeling in the room, isn't it, men? Isn't that the best feeling when, when, you're, when your kids lift their hands up and they say, daddy's home, and they run and they, they jump into your arms. It is the best feeling. But I want you to understand that this is a portrait of what worship is supposed to be like. This is a picture of how we are to worship God. You need to understand this as fathers in this room, that God is sharing one of his attributes with you. That God is a father and he's allowing you to use his title as you raise your little kids. He is sharing that attribute with you. For the fathers in the room, I want you to understand, you are the closest thing to God that your children will understand at this age. They're the closest thing because they don't understand eternity. They don't understand divinity. They don't understand God. But what they, they, they look to you and they say that you are 
supreme in that home. You, you are the strongest. You're the smartest. You're the wisest. You're the biggest. You're the baddest. Like you are their hero. You slay giants. You conquer monsters. Like you're the concept that they have of God. And that's why God shares this attribute of father. And for us in the same way that our kids run to us with open arms, with hands lifted up, with passion and joy and exuberance, whenever we step in the room, when our father in heaven steps into this room and his presence is inhabiting the praises of his people, what happens? The children of God lift up their arms and they, they, they get excited and they get passionate because they understand that they are children of God who've been adopted into the family of God and they have a good father in heaven who loves and adores them with all of the affection that he has. This is why we get passionate and we worship with joy and freedom because we believe that God is our father. Amen. And so we worship God in this way. But many people, they, they still get a little uncomfortable when it comes to the subject of emotional, passionate worship, or even just simply lifting their hands in, in worship. And so what I want to do today is I want to just do a Bible study, and I want to give you 10 biblical reasons why people lift their hands in worship. But before I get into the 10 reasons why we should lift our hands in worship, I want to start off by addressing some of the people who may not feel comfortable lifting their hands in worship. Because not everybody, was, not everybody is taught in this manner or in this way. Not everybody's been in an environment very similar to ours. And so there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of anxiety and some uncomfortability when it comes to the subject of lifting hands in worship. I told you today we're going to get super practical, right? And so I want to answer two of the biggest objections on reasons why people do not feel comfortable lifting their hands in worship. The first reason is this. It's because of insecurities, Frankly, people just get insecure about it. People say, well, I'm just not, I, I just, I'm, I, I'm not a, a passionate person. Okay, you, you are a passionate person. You're passionate about certain things. You're passionate about certain areas of your life. And I'm just asking if you'd be passionate about this area of your life. People oftentimes say, they feel like, well, I'm not a good singer. Listen, this is not American Idol. This is church. Right? No, no one's here to listen to you sing. That's why we have a team and they'll sing and we'll turn the mics up real loud and the band will get real loud so we could drown out your voice. Listen, I'm not a good singer, but here I am on the front row singing loud. That's why they have in-ears on so they can't hear me while they're singing. Right? I can't carry a tune in a bucket, but it's not going to stop me from worshiping and singing out loud to my God. Listen, if Jesus can interpret the angelic tongues of men and angels, then he can auto-tune your out-of-tune voice, and it's a beautiful sound to his ear. Like, don't worry about being insecure. My, my daughter, Esther, she loves to sing. The other day we were in the car and she was singing to the greatest showman and she's singing as loud as she can. I just thought this is the most beautiful thing in the world. My, my, my six-year-old daughter singing. Because as a father, I love to hear my daughter sing. It's a beautiful thing. Well, God is your father, and he loves it when you sing. Another reason people feel insecure about lifting their hands is because they, 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 they worry about not being worthy. Like after the week I've had, after the things that I've done, after the things that I've said, after what I've been through, I just don't feel worthy of lifting my hands in worship. And let me tell you what, you're not. You're not. You're not. In fact, you're, the feeling that you have of not feeling worthy to lift your hands in worship is actually an indicator that you do need to lift your hands in worship because we don't worship God because you are worthy. We worship God because he is worthy and we worship him because he is worthy of it all. And he has saved us. He has forgiven us. He has healed us. He has redeemed us. And it's not about what is in us. It's about who he is and what he has done in our life. And so if you feel that condemnation of the enemy that says you are 
are not worthy. You lift him up and let him be the one who makes you worthy and don't worry about what you think or what people think, but worry most about what God thinks over your life. And so we got to get over the insecurities that we may have when it comes to, to worship. And the second reason that people feel uncomfortable when it comes to worshiping is, is frankly just ignorance. And I'm not calling people ignorant, but I am saying that there is an ignorance when it comes to the subject of, of worship, that we've been taught that we should do something, but we've not been taught how to do it. You've been told what to do, but you've not been told why, and you've not been taught how. And so when it comes to this visible display of passion and worship, many people just do not have a right theology of worship. And so what I want to do is uh, one of the things we do every year at Redemption Church is we do this little thing called a, a geographical survey. We, we did one recently at our last CMN trip. And when we pulled up the, the, the demographic studies of Southeast Texas, uh, here's what we discovered, that only 11% of Southeast Texans were raised in a non-traditional church environment. Only 11%, and out of that 11%, 2% were raised in a charismatic Pentecostal tradition. And so what that tells me is that a church our size, many people, the way that we express ourselves in worship is unique and different. You're here because you're finding joy in something, like you wouldn't be here, but God is challenging you. God is opening your eyes and your hearts to something that is new. And so many people don't grow up in an environment like ours. And so when you, you grew up and you, you probably grew up in a church that was like this. When you go to church, shh, it's church. It's church. You can't talk in church. You got to be quiet in church. Maybe you got pinched on the shoulder by your mom because you, because you, you sneezed, right? You were like, shh, this is church. You're supposed to take God seriously. And because you were taught that, what happens is you end up taking yourself seriously and you don't take God serious enough. See, what I say all the time is this. Listen, reserved worship is a learned behavior. I've said it before. I'll say it again. I'll say it till I day I die. Reserved worship is a learned behavior. Someone somewhere taught you that you can't stand up, you can't lift your hands, you can't sing out loud, you can't clap. Someone told you, someone taught you that you are to be quiet in church and that you're not to display emotion and that you're to sit down and keep your arms by your side, keep your mouth closed. Somebody taught you that in church and they, 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 they taught you that reverence was the same thing as silence. But that's not what we see anywhere in the Bible. Like what I want you to do is I'm gonna present to you some Bible verses in just a moment. And here's what I wanna do. I wanna lovingly push back on people who maybe be uncomfortable around the idea of visibly expressing yourself with lifted hands. Because in this, what we're gonna notice is if you read the Bible like you've never read it before, just imagine for a moment that you're going to the Bible for the very first time. Like I noticed that people who have no church tradition or background who have gotten saved in this church are a lot more passionate and free when it comes to their worship than people who are raised in a more traditional environment because they're reading the Bible for the first time, not with man's interpretation, not with tradition, not with background, not with denominational affiliation. They're not reading it like that. They're just coming to the Bible for the first time. And what I would lovingly challenge you to do is to lay aside all of the things that you believed and all the presuppositions that you have and come to the Bible like you've never read it before. And when you do that, I can tell you, you will not get a picture of God's people worshiping and worshiping without joy. You, you will not see it, a, a picture of God's people worshiping in a passionless way, in an emotionless way. 
What you're gonna find instead is a variety of ways in which people are expressed to worship. They're to worship with their hands lifted up, with their voice as shouts of praise, with dancing, with clapping, with singing, with kneeling, with bowing. You're gonna find a variety of ways in which God instructs his people to worship him, but never are you gonna find a way where God just says, what you do in your heart is all that matters to me. And I don't really care what you do. That's not what you're gonna find anywhere in the Bible. Cause like when we survey through the scriptures, what we see is like Jacob wrestled with the angel of the Lord, grabbed a hold of him and said, I'm not leaving here until you bless me. We find that Aaron and her and Moses, they lifted their hands in passion as God began to fight battles on their behalf. Joshua was so obsessed with the presence of God that even when everybody left, he sat there and he wept and he kneeled in the very presence of God. What we see throughout the scriptures is David, taking off his priestly robes and dancing undignified before the Lord. We see over and over again the scriptures and in the New Testament, there's the woman with the alabaster jar who she doesn't measure out her worship. She doesn't withhold her worship. No, what she does, she takes the flask, breaks the flask and she anoints the head all the way down to the feet of Jesus. She kneels and she bows and she wipes his feet with her tears. It is a visible display of emotion before our Lord and Savior and even when Paul and Silas were in prison in Acts chapter 16, beaten and bloody, and they're locked up. They lifted up their voice. Yeah, they might have been in prison, but their heart was in heaven, and they began to sing, and they began to worship, and they began to pray, and it was the praise that broke the chains that was able to set them free. There is a passion, there is a joy, and there is an emotion when it comes to God's people worshiping after him. People say all the time, they say, Byron, why? I just don't believe that worship should be emotional, right? I don't want to give into emotionalism. Listen, I don't know about you, but I can't help but get emotional when I think about who my God is and what he's done for me. I just can't help but get emotional when I think about that 19-year-old punk kid strung out on crystal meth, sleeping around and locked up in a jail cell. And then he reached down from heaven to hell and he translated me into the kingdom of, of God. I can't help but get excited when I think about how my wife was infertile for five years and through a prophetic word, God opened up her womb and now we got two beautiful girls. I just can't help but get excited when I think about the healings that I've seen, when I think about the miracles that I've seen. I can't help but get excited that God would send his son Jesus to die for me. Who am I? Who, why would he do it for me? That he would love me? That he would save me, forgive me, redeem me, transform my entire life? I get a little emotional when I get worshiping God because guess what? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's something you should be passionate about. You should be excited about. You should be joyful about when we think about what God has done. And so I've been encouraging you, like if, if, if this message is pushing back on you and you're like, I just don't know, pastor. I would encourage you, just go home this week. Like be a Berean. Don't just take it from me because I'm up here on the platform, right? No, go home, read your Bible for yourself. Open it up and just try to find where God just says, you know what? It's okay for you to just sit there with your arms folded and not be engaged in what's happening in the congregation or in worship. You won't find it in scriptures. Why? Because reserved worship is a learned behavior. And so what I gotta do is I have to unlearn that behavior by giving you the Bible. And so here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna give you 10 reasons why we lift our hands in worship. And I, I, here's what my confession is. I'm not here to convert anybody to a denomination 
or to a background or to some form of tradition. Like, I just wanna open up the Bible. I wanna read to you what the Bible says. And I, I, I want you to come to an understanding of the scriptures and how it applies to our lives around this area. I know what you're thinking. You're like, pastor, just give me the Bible. You haven't even read the Bible yet in your sermon. When are you gonna get to the Bible? I'm a Bible church, right? You're a Bible preacher, right? Just open up and preach the Bible. Guess what? That's what I'm gonna do, okay? And so we, we just wanna read the Bible and see what the, the Bible says. And here's what we see in Psalm 134. It says this, come and bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by night in the house of the Lord. What does he say to do? Lift up your hands. David, as the king and the prophet and the warrior and the worshiper, he is giving, he is giving instructions before the congregation on how they are to worship. He says, come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord who stand by the night of the house, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion, he who made the heavens and the earth. So who is supposed to bless the Lord? the servants of the Lord. Raise your hand if you're a servant of the Lord. Okay, look, you're already good at raising your hands. There you go. <laughs> now, how many servants of the Lord are supposed to bless the Lord? Just some? Just, just most? Just those who feel it in their heart? Got the little goosebumps and the spirit fingers? <laughs> who, who's, who's, supposed to, who's supposed to lift their hands and, and bless the Lord? All. You know what that word means in the Hebrew? All. That every single person, he, he wants every person to lift their hands in the sanctuary so that way they can bless the Lord. Listen, I'm gonna say something is, lifting your hands is not a personal preference, but rather it is a spiritual principle. That's what some people think, oh, that's just your preference. No, it's God's preference. It's God's preference. That it's a spiritual principle that God presents to us over and over again so that way we can enter into it. Now, listen, it's not the only way that we worship God. It is not the end all be all of worshiping God. There are a variety of ways in which we express ourselves in worship. But there is one way that God tells us repeatedly through the Bible to worship him, and that is with lifted hands. Guys, I don't understand why God wants us to lift our hands. I, I can't give you a reason why. I can just tell you that's what he wants. Like he could have chosen any way that he desires to be worshiped, but for some reason he chose the lifting of hands. Like God could have said, walk around like a chicken as my favorite form of worship. And that's what a lot of charismatic churches do. They walk around like chickens when they worship. But God didn't say to do that. But here's what God did say to do. God said, lift your hands. God, lift your hands in the sanctuary. It is not about a personal preference, but rather it is a powerful spiritual principle. Over and over again, in the corporate worship setting, God tells the believers to lift up their hands. It's a principle. It's not about preference. This is the pattern that we see over and over again as God engages in congregational singing of a church. Don't take my word for it. I know you're not convinced. So because you want some more Bible verses, let me give you one. First Kings chapter eight, verse 22. King Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all of the assembly of Israel and he spread out his hands towards heaven. Nehemiah 8.6, then Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, amen, amen, while lifting their hands, and then they bowed low, and they worshiped the Lord with their faces on the ground. Psalm 63.4, so I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift up my hands in your name. Lamentations 2.19, before the presence of the Lord, lift up your hands to him. Verse 3.41, we lift up our heart and our hands. Some people are like, well, I just worship God in my heart. Okay, great. Worship God with your heart and also with your hands. 
towards God in heaven, the principle of worship in the Bible is that believers are to lift their hands in an act of worship. It is not about a preference. It is a principle that we are to apply to our lives. Listen, I'm not trying to convert you to worship the way that I do. I want you to worship the way that God wants us to worship with a visible, passionate display of worship as well. So let me give you 10 reasons why we are to lift our hands in worship. The first reason when we lift our hands is this, is it's a biblical commandment. See, some people say, I just don't feel comfortable lifting my hands in worship. And you know what? That is okay. It is okay for you to admit that it is uncomfortable, but it's not okay for you to stay that way. It's okay for you to start there, but it's not okay for you to be there for the next 30 years of your life. There comes a level where you have to get over your uncomfortability and you have to step out in faith and let God be the one who brings comfort into your life and into your soul. See, there's a lot of people who they they worship God the way that they want to worship God. Listen, my friends, we don't worship God the way that we want to worship him. We worship God the way that he tells us to worship him. There's a story in the Old Testament about two brothers, Cain and Abel, and they were both brought an an offering. And and Cain brought an offering and Abel brought an offering. Abel brought an offering that was pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And Cain brought an offering that was not acceptable. And God rejected the unacceptable form of worship and God received the blessing and the form of worship that he appropriated. It wasn't just bring to God whatever you want. It was bring to God what God wants. And so when we come to worship God, my friends, we don't just get to worship God however we feel and want anytime that we get it. No, we have to come with a biblical understanding of what genuine worship is and then worship God in the way that he desires to be worshiped. Worship is lifting our hands is a commandment that God tells us. Listen, this is found in Psalm 134.2, lift your hands in the holy place and do what? To, to bless the Lord. It is not about our comfort, but rather it is about obeying God's commands. And for those of you who are uncomfortable doing it, listen, I get it, I understand, but let me encourage you with this. Nothing grows in comfort zones. Like if you wanna have spiritual growth in your life, you have to get a little uncomfortable sometimes. You have to do things that might feel a little awkward. That's what faith is required for. Like when you first learned how to pray, wasn't it uncomfortable when you were overcoming sin and temptation and you were removing certain things in your life? Wasn't it uncomfortable whenever you're getting delivered from that addiction? Wasn't it uncomfortable whenever you said no to sexual sin? Wasn't it a little uncomfortable whenever you learned how to tithe for the first time? Wasn't it a little uncomfortable? God's always gonna ask you to do things that feel uncomfortable because he wants for you to grow in your spiritual journey of faith and nothing my friends will grow in comfort zones and so if you're one of those people who are like I'm just I'm just not comfortable doing it that's okay but I would challenge you to do it anyway and allow God to begin to grow you now listen you don't have to just like walk around like this all the time during worship you're like, is it over yet? Is the song over yet? Can I put my arms down yet? You don't, you don't have to do that, you know? But what you can do is, is you, could, you can just gradually begin. Like, like if, you're, if, you're, if you're not like a front row Pentecostal, like you might pull something if you try this, okay? So what you should do instead is maybe just start like here, right? Just start like, this is, this is where I'm gonna start. I'm, I'm gonna start right here like I'm holding a TV. <laughs> and, then, and, then, and then you might get a little bit more comfortable and you might start swaying like this. It's okay. We're not Baptists here, so you can dance a little, right? And then, and then you can like, I got the heartburn. You can rub, you got, I got the heartburn. 
right? And you just work your way up, work your way up. And eventually you could be like here, hold the baby. And then you can, you can come up here like, okay, I got it, I got it. And then before you know it, by the end of service, you'll be full down touchdown, right? Let's go, Jesus. Like two-point conversion for my salvation. Like you can, you can work your way up to it. Just start somewhere because I want for you to spiritually be able to grow in your faith. The, the second thing is important is, is lifting your hands is an act of biblical masculinity. I'm, I'm gonna talk to the men for just a moment. The Bible tells us, he says this, 1 Timothy, Paul's writing to a young pastor on how to instruct their church. And here's what he says. He says, I desire that men in the place should lift up their holy hands in prayer without anger or quarreling. Men especially have a hard time when it comes to lifting up their hands in worship. They'll say, I'm more reserved. I'm not public with my display of affection. I'm more stoic and quiet, but I'm gonna give pushback and I'm gonna say that that's not true. So let me just show you some, some pictures of some men who are actually being pretty passionate. Look at this guy. Look at this guy right there. Look at that. He's got both arms up. He, he ain't afraid, right? Look at that guy. He, he's passionate. I bet you at church he worships like that too, I hope. How about this picture? What this, what's this guy right there? Look at that. Look at that, right? Both hands lifted up, right? Look, he's, he's passionate. He's passionate. Look at that smile on his face. How about this picture right here? Like that ain't no golf clap, guys. That ain't no golf clap. Yay, Jesus. No, Tiger Woods, every single man in there, let's go, hands lifted up. Like that's, that's a picture of what, of what worship looks like in men's lives. And then look, this is what men think worship looks like, right? That's what men think what worship looks like. Right? That's men, that's, that's the idea that you have when it comes to worship, right? But, but biblically, this is what worship looks like. Freedom! I want you to understand, I want you to understand that, that men worshiping God is one of the best things that a church can teach, to teach men how to be able to, to worship God. But one of the best things we do is create a culture in our church where men lovingly lead and model healthy and holy Christianity. This is what our modern world needs because all around society, all we keep hearing about is toxic masculinity. Listen, there is a war against masculinity and I'm not saying it's just coming from the world, but I also believe it's coming from the enemy and what Satan would love to have is for men to sit down and shut up in a church, but what God wants for men to do is to lead and to model and to set an example and a spiritual atmosphere in your home and in this church because when a church has healthy godly men it creates an opportunity for the women and the children in the church to be able to flourish and to be able to grow because there is a spiritual war that is happening over the house of God and we need men who will worship in freedom and joy and spirit and truth so men where are my men at I want you to worship God with freedom in your life. Number three, it's the theology of the body. Probably one of the most important verses on worship comes from Romans 12.1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present what? Your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, which is your spiritual act of worship. Look what he says there, that you're to worship God, not just with your heart, not just with your mouth, not just with your mind, but you're to worship God with your with your body, because God cares about the body. Like when I get asked one of the reasons, why do you worship the way that you do? One of the things that I say is because I am not a Gnostic. You say, well, what is Gnosticism? Gnosticism was a heresy that was denied by the church in the 300s. 
What Gnostics would teach is that the body and the soul are disconnected and what you do with your body doesn't matter because the only thing that matters is your soul. That Jesus did not resurrect the physical body, he resurrected as a soul and therefore the whole goal of the human life is to discard the body so we can go to heaven where we float around as souls and spirits. That's a Gnostic heresy that was denied by the early church. But yet somehow that idea still creeps in people's minds today that what we do with our body doesn't matter. That what we do with our body is not important to God. But the Bible presents a different, that we are to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and our strength. This is why Paul elsewhere says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, sexual sin is the only sin that a person commits against their body because God cares about the body. The church needs to have a healthy theology around the body that we don't just worship God in our hearts. We don't just worship God in our minds. We don't just worship God with our mouths. No, we worship God as a holistic human being, a full body experience because when we die at the resurrection of the dead, upon the second coming and the new heavens and new earth, you will receive a resurrection resurrected body. God cares about your body and God cares what you do with your body. And so use your body as an act and a way in which you are to worship God. The fourth thing that we see is this, is lifting your hands is nonverbal communication. And I don't know about you guys, but one of the reasons why me and Ashley get in arguments a lot of times is because of my nonverbal communication. (laughs) Because she'll always say this, it's not what you said, it's how you say it. You ever heard that? What, what people will say is 90% of communication is nonverbal. And so whenever we're worshiping God, our, our bodies are actually communicating something to him as well. And so when, the, when we're worshiping and congregational singing and our hands are folded like this and our eyes are down and we're staring at our phones and, and, and we're, 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 we're not engaged, what is that saying? God, I am closed off to you. What, communi- what is that communicating to the Lord? What is the nonverbal communication that you're giving? But whenever you, you, you're joyful, your eyes light up and you get a smile on your face and, and you start talking with your hands as you get really excited, what's happening? There is a nonverbal communication that is happening. And during the art and act of worship, we are communicating with God through prayer and song, not just what we are saying, but, but also how we are saying it through nonverbal communication as well. Number five, it's, it's a sign of surrender. It's saying, God, I lay everything down and I place my trust, peace, and my security in you and I put my safety in your will for my life. Think about it. Whenever someone surrenders in a war, what what do they do? They they throw their hands up. Do you know that before you met Jesus, you were an enemy of God? That's what the book of Ephesians says. We were enemies of God, separated him and deserving and worthy of wrath. But God, in his mercy, he saved us, he forgave us, he, he, he healed us, he redeemed us, he forgiven us of our sins, he has made us new creations in him. And so whenever we're worshiping, what we're doing is we're laying down our weapons, we're laying down the war, we are lifting up our hands and we say, God, I surrender all and all to you, oh, oh. God, I am laying it all down, I'm coming to you yet again. Father, forgive me of my sins, I repent, I throw my hands up as an act of surrender, not my will, but your will be done. It's an act of surrender. The next one is it's an act of vulnerability. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and our strength. He is a very help in our, very help in our time of trouble. Psalm 12.1 says, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Just think about a man who is drowning in an ocean. What is he doing? He's, he's reaching out his hands, trying to keep his head above water. He's reaching out. And what is he saying? Help, 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 help. You know, that's a picture of what worship is. When we find ourselves in a moment of need, when we find ourselves...
in a moment of this vulnerability where we need God to show up, when we're in a situation that is bigger than ourselves, and we're surrounded by circumstances that we can't find our way through and we need God to intervene, we need God to step in, what do we do? We lift up our hands and we lift up our voice and we cry out to God. We say, God, help. And here's what I wanna encourage you with. God always hears honest prayers. Like you, you don't have to like pretend that you're perfect or pretend that you're okay or always sing with a smile on your face. Sometimes you can stand there and you can weep real tears. You can cry, you can be brokenhearted and you can get down on your knees and you can just pour out your soul and you can say, God, help, help. And God loves to help. Where does your help come from? The Lord who is the maker of the heavens and the earth. The Bible says he is an ever-present help in our very time of need. And so when you don't feel like worshiping God, that's when you need to worship him the most and do so with honesty because God always hears honest prayers. There's a vulnerability that we need to lay down our pride and accept the help that comes from the Lord. Number seven, it shows our dependence. There's a fascinating story in the Old Testament on the life of Moses. What happens was he was in a a war with the Amalekites. And Joshua is down in the valley and he's fighting against the Amalekites. And at this moment, they were losing the battle. And then all of a sudden, the Lord began to speak to him. And he said, grab two men, Aaron and her, and bring them alongside of you. And as long as your arms are lifted up, you will win the victory. But the moment you put your arms down is the moment you will begin to experience defeat. And so these two men, they came alongside of him and they lifted up his arms. And here's what it says in Exodus 17. Whenever Moses held up his hands, Israel prevailed. And whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites prevailed. So the principle is this, worship wins the war. That as you begin to worship God, God begins to show up. It invites his presence and his power in your life in a very unique way. Some of you, you are losing battles in your life because you are going through with your arms by your side. You are trying to accomplish it all on your own. You're not seeking God's divine plan and intervention in your life. You're not worshiping him. And that's why you're experiencing the defeats that you're going through in your life. But when you would learn to worship God, to lift up his name, to lift up his praise, then you will begin to see that God will fight the battles on your behalf, that God wins the war when God's people learn to worship. We're in a spiritual battle and we can't just walk around defeated and when we have been receiving victory that comes from the precious life of Jesus Christ. Number eight, it's a, it's a posture of receiving. Every time I go out of town for a, a pastor trip, I always get my daughters two things. I get them a snow globe and I get them a postcard. Because I want to I I get a snow globe from the city that I'm in. I get a postcard and I journal out what, what I was doing because I always want them to know that their daddy's thinking of them and that, that the church is never taking me away from home, but actually my little girls are sending me to be able to go and do ministry in other places. And every time I come home, here, here's, what, here's what I say to them. I say, I say, hold out. I say, uh, I say, stick out your eyes and hold out your hands, right? And they're like, what? And as I hold out your hands and, oh, whatever. So um, I got it backwards. And because here's what they know, that their daddy has a gift for them. What do you do whenever somebody gives you a gift? You hold out your hands so you can do what? So you can receive it. Right? God has a, a gift for you. But as long as our hands are clenched and, and held tight, we're not able to receive what our father wants to bless us with. Here's what James says. James says this, every good and perfect gift comes from above. So if you want to receive this gift from God, where does it come from? Above. So where do our hands need to be ready to receive from? From above. 
coming down from the Father of lights. Who is God? He's a Father with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God is a generous gift giver. Every single Sunday, he has a gift for you. That's why every single Sunday, I always tell people, don't walk out these doors the same way you were when you walked in them. That God has a gift for you. It could be healing. It could be freedom. It could be salvation. It it could be deliverance. It could be breakthrough in your life. It could be peace. I don't know what it is, but I do know this. Whenever you're worshiping God and you lift up your hands, I can promise you that there is a gift that the Father in heaven wants to depart inside of your heart. And he wants to bless you with this gift because God is a generous gift giver. You're never going to walk out of church the same way you walked in because he always has something in store for you. But my friends, we have to be ready and willing to stretch out our hands and to receive the gift he wants to bless us with and not just worship with clenched fists and white knuckles grinning and waiting until the service is over so we can leave. No, my friends, we need to make time to spend time in the very presence of God. Number nine is that we lift our hands to point to Jesus as our Savior. We say, Jesus, you are my savior. Point. You say, Jesus, you are my hope. Jesus, you are my redeemer. Jesus, you are God. Jesus, I worship you. I praise you. I magnify you. I bless whose holy name? Not my holy name. I bless your holy name. And you point to Jesus as your redeemer. You point to him who's overcome the, the, the sins. You point to him who's the perfect lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world. You point to him as the one who saves your soul. You point to Jesus. You cry out to him, you worship him. And lastly, number 10, is lifting your hands, call us upon God as your father. I told you that I would talk about my daughters a lot in this message because I want you to understand the heart of the father. That God is a father who loves you with the love and the affection of a father has. And I believe that when you have a childlike faith, you will worship in freedom. My daughters are not concerned about what people think about them. They haven't been conditioned to do that yet. My daughters are so in love with their daddy. They're not embarrassed in front of me because they know that I love them unconditionally. And whenever you begin to worship God, like a child adores their daddy, that's when you'll understand a heart of worship. Here's what Romans 8 tells us. It says this, it says, for all those who are led of the spirit of God, They are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. You gotta get over the insecurity. You gotta get over the the ignorance and, and the attitude. You are not a slave, you are a child. You're not a slave to other people's opinions. You are not a slave to what people have said about you. You are not a slave to your past. You are not a slave to sin. You are not a slave to circumstances. You are not a slave. You know who you are? You are a child of God. You are a son of God. You are a daughter of God. And he loves you and he adores you. And he wants to cherish and spend time with you. And he lavishes himself on your life. And here's what it says. It says this, that we were adopted as his own children. Now we call out to him, Abba, Father. For the Spirit joins us with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. Whenever uh, my daughter Ruth, just this morning, I woke up about 4.30 to to get ready for today. And she must've heard me downstairs doing something. And and all of a sudden I hear, Daddy! Because all the lights in the house were off. Ashley was still sleeping. And she was standing at the top of the stairwell 
and she was just crying for her daddy. Daddy, 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 come get me. Daddy, where are you? Daddy, daddy, daddy. And what did I do as her dad? Did I ignore her? Did I push her away? No, you know what I did? I dropped what I was doing. I went up the stairs. I picked up my little girl and I held her in my arms. When we call out to God as our father, that's what our father does to us. He comes and he meets us and he picks us up and he spends time with us and he loves to be with us. The Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. When you worship God, God is near, God is close, and God is a father who will pick you up and he will draw you in and he will pour out his love and affection upon you. That's exactly what it says right here in Psalm 134, it says this. It says, when you bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, stand by night in the house of the Lord, lift up your hands to the holy place and bless the Lord. May the Lord bless you from Zion who made heaven and earth. And here's what I wanna say as we close, is that when we bless God, what does the scripture say? That we focus on blessing God and in return, God will begin to bless us. When the praises go up, the blessings come down. Do you wanna experience the blessings of God on your life? Well, how about you spend time blessing God with your life? Do you wanna see the favor of God on your life? Lift up your hands and begin to worship God. Do you wanna see God move in mighty ways? Will you lift up the mighty name? Do you wanna see God do things that only God can do? Then you do what you're told to do and lift up your hands and shout to the Lord and sing praise and worship and glorify His holy name. If you want to experience the favor of God, then you bless God. And when you begin to bless God, God in return begins to bless you. And I know that there are people in this room right now that you are hurting, that you are struggling. And my challenge to you is you worship Him anyway. I know there are those of you who are on top of the mountain and you're excited you're passionate, you just got that raise, you just found out that you're having another baby, you just got a new job, you just got all of these new opportunities. Whenever you propose, she said yes, you're on top of the mountain. You know what you do? You worship God, you praise Him for everything that He's done. We worship Him, we bless Him, we sing to Him, we cry out to Him, we stand up right now. Everybody just stand up and let us begin to sing out and to lift your hands and to praise Him and to worship Him for who He is and how good He is in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.